Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. Heel Squad, how are you? It's Kelsey. We love you guys, and we just want to say thank you for always being the biggest supporters of our show. We did have to do a little bit of rearranging this week, but no worries because we still got you with the greatest content. Today, we have Dr. Shafali, and she's teaching us how we can actually reparent ourselves. So she's teaching us how we can be better parents to our children. But if you don't have children, or if you do, also how you can be a better parent to yourself and how that's going to help you heal some of your wounds, heal your traumas. It's a really beautiful episode. Dr. Shafali is so brilliant and she's teaching us especially women how we can stand up for ourselves and be the best versions of ourselves have a radical awakening as she puts it so enjoy today's episode and share it with a friend share it with anyone who needs to hear it and please if you haven't yet leave us that five-star review and rating on apple podcast and we love you okay enjoy the show hey guys today dr shafali and i are talking about our radical awakening Uh, How to find your authentic self, how to set boundaries when people are used to a certain us, and how to be okay being the bitch, soul erosion, and so much more. Dr. Shafali? It's going to be a great conversation. Don't forget to subscribe. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. You know that's what we do here every single day. If you don't, now you know. (laughs) And you should be joining us every day because we do really cool stuff here. Hit subscribe on that little YouTube thing. Turn on those notifications and join us every day. Our quote of the day, the quest for wholeness can never begin on the external level. It is always an inside job. That is from Dr. Shefali Sabari. That is our guest today for part two. We are back with her. We're talking about parenting and uh, some of the baggage you bring into parenting, some of the things that can help you as you deal with um, the identity of parenting and the lies that we are being told about what good parenting looks like um, and so much more. We get into a few other things too, but because um, I couldn't help myself. But um, but she also redefines kind of what mothering really is, and I think that's really cool. You talk about how the kind of societal norms and the constructs and the institutions, a lot of it was based on capitalism, and I thought this was really fascinating. When you start breaking it down, I was watching your Mind Valley speech, and um, and I was like, whoa, I I guess I never thought about it like that. Right. And you're like, who said we have to eat three times a day? Who said, who said, who said exactly what you just said? Who said, there we go. Who said that you got to match your clothes? Like who said that you're supposed to get married and have kids? Holy shit. I'm going to say who said all the time now. I love that. Um, But, but I want you to kind of educate everyone on that part of it that maybe we're not really realizing, because I think now we understand that some of our childhood programming runs our ride. We understand that perfectionism runs our ride. We understand some of that stuff. But the capitalism end of it is kind of interesting. (laughs) Okay. I have lots of other shockers too, but we can go with capitalism. But it's connected to religion and I could offend people, but just talking straight talk. The reason why capitalism and religion work so well together, because religion is thou shall suffer. And capitalism is like, oh, you suffering? Yeah. I have the drug. You understand? It's all like kind of woven. And education makes you feel like shit. 
and uh, you're like a loser by the age of, you know, eight. So, you know, you're just learning to consume. Now, then comes the parent, okay? The parent who is like beaten by life has this idea that their child will be their badge of honor. Never mind, I've been a loser and I'm not really happy, but my child, I will make successful and happy. So we start on the parenting journey with so much zeal and ego, which is what most of my work has been about, popping the parental ego, which has been a lot of fun. Um, so I'm sure, especially in the millennial and Gen X world. Oh, man. Oh my, my generation. Oh my God. We are like, we thought we knew how to parent, you know, and then I come and I poke all the bubbles and parents can't stand it. However, so now the parent is even more vulnerable than that 18 year old because the parent has a renewed sense of their ego. You know, they've been beaten down, but they're like, no, no, no. I will give my child everything that I didn't have because they have this delusion that, you know, my parents didn't do it well. You know, I only had 65 things to do a day. I'm going to give my kid 165 things to do a day. And the capitalist culture is like these bloody parents, they are the best captive audience. We'll just keep preying on them that if they did X, their kid would be a superstar. If they just did this, their kid is going to be happy. You know, that's why, I mean, you should see these parents these days. I mean, I was kind of like them, but now every generation is more on steroids because capitalism preys on the parents. And I call it the parenting industrial complex. Like we have the prison industrial complex. Uh, we have the parenting industrial complex and slaves are being made in both places by capitalism. So the more you feel like you can create the superstar child, which is every parent's ego, the more capitalism says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, so where, you know, we used to send our kids to the the grassy courts, the basketball court around the corner and just put a hoop. Now we have to send them, you know, to the travel team that goes to France every year. And, you know, they have to speak three languages and stand on their head, you know. And, and it, the SATs used to be for college. Uh, but now you don't only just have the SATs, you have the APs. And, you know, it's fascinating, okay, to watch how the standards keep compounding. And then COVID came and my kid, my kid, my daughter was supposed to do the SATs when COVID hit. And my entire parenting life, I was resisting the SATs, okay? Because my whole life is like anti-establishment. But I was at the end of the day, you know, also going to succumb. I was like, what to do? I want her to go to college because I want to be free. So she has to do these damn SATs. And I was dreading because it's inauthentic to me to tell my daughter, you have to do the SAT. So I was practicing the frown and the wagging of the finger. And then luck had it with my, in my year, my year, I almost began believing in the angels. My year, COVID hit and there was no SAT now. And the world went up. round. Isn't that crazy? And now leaving my ego aside, I'm acting like it happened for me. No, but here's the real. But you situation. manifested it. I'll tell you, because yeah. I'd. I was the same way. I was like, I'm never having a wedding. It's never about the the couple. People make it a nightmare or whatever. I ended up manifesting an amazing wedding where I didn't have to do anything. And it was literally just about us. So yeah, I think you manifested this for sure. Yeah, we think we, we did something in Wuhan. Yes, but leaving our ego aside, what I saw was the fallacies that capitalism is based on. So now suddenly we're being courted by universities saying, we want to see the holistic child. We don't care about the SATs. And I'm like, you see, suddenly they don't care about the what? SATs because they, because they couldn't care about the SATs. So wow. many universities dropped the SAT as a standard, right? And the, the college board lost a lot of money. So, you know, and I began to see, oh, now they don't need the SATs because they can't have the SATs. But before that, it was the Holy Grail. So many of these things we take as the Holy Grail, but we little realize that we've been seduced by capitalism or by religion or by education, whose main goal is to keep us feeling unworthy so that we consume the religious doctrine for salvation, or we consume the drug of choice or the Louboutins for salvation, because without feeling miserable, 
we wouldn't consume any of this. Imagine if we lived with an abundance mindset from youth and that divinity was already within us. We didn't have to go to a place to find it or we didn't have to have drugs to feel better about ourselves. The economy would collapse. Religion would no longer be needed as much. So we keep the they keep the ball rolling by making sure we feel miserable. So unworthiness then is the predication of the economic system. Mm, and not being good enough, yeah. Which I guess, I guess is the same kind of thing. Sure. Right. You know, women are being told, oh, you know, look at your earlobe. You know, when I, until I went to my dent, my cosmetic dentist, I didn't even know I had crooked teeth. I'm like, I need to stop coming here. I just came for like whitening and now you're telling me I have crooked teeth. Now I have a complex. Now I want to straighten my teeth. See how you got me to spend $6,000? So it's a never ending web, right? Now women want to like, they're looking at the skin behind the freaking earlobe, you know, that'll be injected soon. And we'll be taking pictures and comparing. There's no end to this. There's no end. Look at us. There's no end. So until we wake up ourselves in our own private lives to say no more, and we begin to choose with discernment and begin to play to our own tune, we will be caught up in this tornado and it's going to just spit you out and death. So how do we do that, right? Like I wrote, how do we do that when we have, I mean, part of it is like, how do we set those boundaries when we've conditioned everyone around us to expect a certain us? But then how do we go live our truth in ourselves without just being lonely? <laughs> Again, now you've gone to some big extreme. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, how do we live our truth without being alone? All the time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. because everybody is in the rat race. That's what I kept seeing after my surgery. Everyone else is in the rat race. Everybody else is under all the falsehoods and the illusions, and they're all trapped in this vortex. And I was like, out here, I'm like, how, what, what the fuck was I in? And what, how come nobody else sees this? And yes. please tell me there are other people that see this. Well, now I. I, I, I have people that see it. You see it. There are certain people that see it. Um, but in your everyday world, there aren't a lot of people that yeah, see it. Right, right. hundred percent. So it's, it's the matrix and you realize you left the matrix and you're like, now what? You're floating in space and you haven't met your other tribe yet. You know, it's what happened in Plato's allegory of the cave, one of them left and said, hey, the sun is causing those shadows, come see. And nobody left the cave. So there will always be one. And then one, I call it one is a million. So I, when I left the matrix at 21, um, I was like a death to myself because not only do you realize your life has been a lie, you then realize you have nobody now to hang out with. Right? Yeah. So as I began growing older, I was like, God damn it, I'm going to create my own community. So I began to create my own community and began to teach what I teach and show other people. Do you see the matrix? Do you see? Do you see? Come, come join me. And I brought one person over and another person over. And now you you have people. See, you are there and you have your friends. There, there are enough. But those who are out of the matrix are not easily found because we're hiding, you know, we're like, we don't want to be part of that. So through podcasts like yours, through raising your vibration, writing about it, you have to spread your tentacles a bit, but people will connect. You and I have connected. You know, when I write my book, people come to me and the ones who come are, are those who also have been leaving the matrix slowly but surely. Yeah, I know. It's a question that I get asked by people a lot because a lot of people come to this show who are in the midst of their awakening or want their awakening and they always feel really lonely. I'm like, I get it. I was there <laughs> and you have to find your people. Um, but I think um, I think it's really hard to, to first I identify a lot of it. Right, which I think the book does such a great job of helping you kind of get to that place where maybe you are noticing some of the stuff and now you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, Savior? Uh-huh. Yep, that's, oh, that's me. Especially like the lists you give. Like, let's go to Savior for a second. Um, here, I marked up this book so much. There's so much writing in here and so many pages. Here we go. Um, Those of us who are Saviors deflect the loss of our authentic self by focusing on others. My husband really connected with that. I've sent him so many things. He's like, I can't wait to read this book. Um, once we see the true needs of the neck, once we see the true needs of the neglected child are 
Uh, We can go on a quest to meet them. I loved that. I really loved that. Um, Because you start to see that the neglect is what creates the new self, right? Yeah. So the neglect creates the pattern, the, the, the need to save. But now when you begin to transform, you don't go and save. You go inward and go why am I feeling like I want to save? Mm-hmm. Ah, there's something inside me that's feeling really small right now, really scared. Now you tune into that and take care of this instead of playing the robotic role to go and act out from this neglected place. Yeah. I think my husband and I, I have went, both been a neglected because we feel like we have superhero capes and it's like, you have an emergency. Here we come. We're going to yeah. go fix it and save it right now. <laughs> right. So let me ask you, what does that emergency create within you? When you feel someone's in an emergency, it's bringing up an old wound, right? Yeah. I think, well, I think the quickest thing is like you feel needed and you know you can, right? So for me, I have this thing where if I know I can, why wouldn't I? Like, why wouldn't I help someone when I know I can? Right. Well, we just because we can doesn't mean we must, right? Mm-hmm. So many reasons to not help. One, it could drain our energy. Two, it could not, they didn't ask for help. <laughs> you know, saviors go and then later on I say, but did anyone ask for help? And yeah. like, oh, no. Yeah, you gave that um, example of like seeing the person at the bus station. And I go, that's that's me. I see the poor person at the bus stop and I want to help them. This This guy the other day, he had his head in his hands and he was, you know, just living on the streets. And my heart like bled so badly for him. But I'm too scared to go up to him, obviously, alone. If I was with Kevin, maybe I would have like stopped and, you know. Right. But, but yeah, and you're like, that, oh man. Right, so as stopping and going, but first recognizing you have a pattern called the savior, then recognizing it's rabid obsession and hold over you, like uh, me, 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 right? The savior is always going, me, me. So realizing you're always wanting to put your hand up and stopping that instinct to becoming conscious. Why, why, why is it my business? Did they ask for help? Now, this may sound cold, And like, you're not compassionate anymore. So saviors will be like, I don't want to lose my compassion. And all I'm saying is you don't have to lose your compassion, but please lose your overindulging and your over-rescuing because half the time you're not needed. You're freaking messing up the situation. You're draining yourself and you're crippling the other. Talk about that. Is you're not comfortable with yourself. You're not comfortable with the situation being messy, because from a young age, the little girl or little boy in you learn, oh my God, terror, this is chaos. Let me jump in and fix it. You know, competent people are saviors. So like you said, because they can, they do. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a big line I said after surgery. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Exactly. Um, I loved this whole thing where you said, my giving allowed me to feel significant and useful, valid and worthy. My giving allowed me to not confront my own pain about the other's pain. My giving allowed me to ward off the discomfort of tolerating the unknown. My giving allowed me to feel superior and competent, powerful and in control. My giving attracted broken people to me, allowing me to continue the cycle. My giving allowed others to depend on me, which gave me a sense of power. My giving allowed me not to learn to be a receiver. And my giving meant I could distract myself from my own self-care. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. 
Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. What do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom of the baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. The giving is so self-agendified, right? And that's what I teach givers. Because givers are beautiful people, no doubt, okay? But the givers are also self-agendified. The agenda is like, say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's about our own significance. Yeah, we want to be needed. We want to be appreciated. We want to be loved. We want all of those things. But we're also trained that those are the good things. Yeah, that's why givers are like, it's hard to extricate from it because you're like, it's such a virtue, right? We've been told it's a good thing. So it's a little confusing, but you have to like get clear about your giving being full of agenda and how to give without the agenda and how to give without really uh, needing to give. You know, you give when it's an overflow, you give when it's natural. You don't give because it's your instinct. Yeah. And you don't give when you're empty. Yes. That's for sure. Uh, So this is a really cool one. Since we good women find it intolerable to be the bitch, we continue to be what our ego has trained us to be. Compassionate, kind, understanding bigger, uh, understanding bigger than the other who just dumped their stuff on us. So none of us want to be the bitch. We're, we're trained to be the anti-diva, the anti-bitch, the anti-all of these things. We're supposed to be kind of the, the martyr and the one who will like go down with the ship to help everybody else. And I know there are so many women who listen to this show who are literally ill, falling apart, and are going to do it until the very, very bitter end because that's what they're trained they're supposed to do. How do you peel us back? How do we get okay with being the bitch? Because maybe that's 
where we're supposed to be. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah, better it, than the other way. Right. It's it's not so much that, you know, we should go be the bitch. It's that we have to become comfortable that sometimes people are not going to adulate and kiss our toes. And that's okay. That's what we have to get comfortable with, that we people are not going to like us. People are going to be upset. And we have to tolerate that and learn to be okay being called the bitch sometimes, you know? So it's not that you have to go be the bitch, but that you have to learn to be okay being seen as the bitch. That's really hard. It's easier to be the bitch. But to be seen as the bitch? Oh, no. Because that goes against, you know, we're supposed to be this this Mother Teresa, right? Like yes. Said. So practice, you know, tell your friends, call you bitch all day and like, <laughs> and practice going, okay, I'm okay being called a bitch. But it's something you're- Desensitizing ourselves. I like that. <laughs> And I think people in your profession and mine, you know, I, I get so much negativity as well as positivity that I've learned to become neutral now through training uh, and not feeling the need to defend myself and actually seeing it as something of a badge of honor that not everyone likes you. Because if everyone likes you, then you really don't have much of an opinion and you're just appeasing everybody. How can everybody like you? I mean, it's impossible. Hmm. Um so learning to not like everyone, and that's okay, as long as you don't act out it, act out on it in hatred, and okay to not be liked by everyone, as long as no one is abusing you, you know? How did you get there, though? It was not easy. This, is, this, this was my, my tough one, because I love to be the good one. You know? Yeah. Well, we're know. trained as young girls. Like yeah. my dad always said, Maria, you got to be a good girl. And everybody, you know, like my dad, mm-hmm. they conditioned me to have to be perfect for everybody. Yeah. And it really mattered what everyone thought about me. Yeah. So then what do you yeah. do? Yeah. You go build this persona and you go build this whole version of you that is going to fit all of that. And yeah. God forbid you have an opinion. I mean, luckily, like I was a little rebellious in a in a good way where I kind of fought and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it your way. And then when I'm 18, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm gonna go do it my way. So I I was I, I knew I was in my cell and I was just waiting for my time for my release. Mm-hmm. But it still defines me to this day. I still worry about what people think of me and what they're going to say about me. And mm-hmm. you end up living in a f- kind of fearful cage. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the only real way was to call the bullshit on my goodness. You know, when I began to see that I'm full of shit, that I'm doing it to actually take something back. And I saw the agenda. I want the compliment. I want to be the lovely martyr, savior, the pure one. When I began to see the bullshit and really you have to be honest with yourself and go, okay, that you didn't have to make 16 desserts. You were doing it because you were showing up, weren't you? There was no need. And I was like, yeah, I was showing up. You know, so when you begin having those conversations, then you realize, wow, you're just a bloody needy person, you giver, right? And then you see the giver is actually so needy, begging for affection and affirmation. Then I got kind of nauseated by it. And I was like, come on, this I cannot live my life such a fake. And, you know, I cannot be wanting so much affirmation all the time. So then as I began to see that shadow side of the giver, then I would dare to become more authentic. Then you dare to become more authentic. Then everyone is like, uh, where's the 16 dessert, Shifali? And you're like, uh, you know, I was tired. Then you begin to be authentic. And I remember when I first began saying I'm tired or no, or not now, I literally had a panic attack, you know, like hives. Like, how can I be tired? How can I say no? But you have to, uh, but then the, the, the prize is your authentic voice. So I say it's you have to pay a price for everything. So the price for the prize of authenticity is making people unhappy. And yes, you'll be called a bitch sometimes. Wow. I had that moment recently with Kevin where I started realizing I'm like, ooh, there are some lies in here. And it was really a hard conversation. And it was it was hard just because I had to admit things where I was like, I'm really starting to see things like inside of me very clearly and I don't like them. Yes. Yes. I went on a two year hiatus from being a host for dinner parties. I mean, all my friends were like, okay, this cannot continue. Whatever you're going through, can you please stop? Because this is not fair. Where are our parties? I literally stopped the old me for two years. I took a moratorium. I called it a moratorium. 
I took a moratorium for my marriage. I just didn't take a moratorium for motherhood, but I did it less and less. And my daughter protested. She's like, where's my mom? Hello. She's supposed to come clean my, my ass. Where is she? Yeah. And I was like, what have I created? People's expectations. Yeah. And I, I had to rid them and myself of that loop. And it, I went on a moratorium. I had to literally detox from my own old life. Unless I escaped, like stopped and pressed halt and went on an island within myself. It because they keep asking, you know, so then you, you have to just take a time out sabbatical mm-hmm. till the new self has muscle. Yes. Pull, you know, yes. I did that with email. Well, first of all, I did it with voicemails years ago. I think it was like 12 years ago. I go, don't leave me a voicemail. I'm not li- listening. Because there were too many people, too many ways people could get to me. I was like, you can email me. You can text me. Why am I going to now listen to a voicemail, have to look for a piece of paper, be stressed to write down the message or the number or whatever. Then I did it with email. Oh my God, the reaction I got to my email that said, I'm really going to take a break from the demands of everyone else so that I can actually get something done in the day that is going to make me happy. And so here are like 10 people you can reach out to for any of your requests, but I'm not checking these. The response was so intense. And I knew I could do it because we were both dealing with brain tumors. So I had like kind of a good excuse, but people still were really upset by them. And then I've had to finesse them a little bit since where I'm like, okay, maybe it's not as you know aggressive, but uh, people don't like when you set boundaries. Yeah, but but part of that is that we are all so codependent, you know, enmeshed like children to mommy. So we make mothers out of everybody and become children. Sometimes you're the mommy, sometimes you're the child. And part of what I write in my book is it's time to grow up. Mm-hmm. And part of growing up is reparenting yourself yep. and un- unenmeshing from these dependent relationships. You can be interdependent but you can no longer be dependent. And all of us have been like waiting for mommy and daddy really to rescue us and to give us the star prize, you know, good child prize. And we got to stop. Yeah. You talk about reparenting and I always say like, it's time to re-raise ourselves because as I've watched in my kind of journey, there have been so many things that I'm like having to go back and try to work on and fix and or, you know, try to delete with EMDR or somatic expression work, whatever the case is. Um, but there's a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff that's kind of running our rides that we have to re-raise and fix and reparent um, that I think is important for people to realize. Um, there was something else that I wanted to touch on with the, the parents. Um, I think it was over here. Hold on one sec. I just see. I have notes like crazy in here because there's just so many places to go with this. Um, and and in the reparenting of ourselves, I think it's realizing the baggage that we're carrying into parenthood, right? Like I'm not a parent yet. I may never get to be. We'll see. I just kind of believe that whatever is going to be is going to be. But um Talk about that part for people who aren't realizing that the baggage they're bringing in is now hurting their own kids and how important it is for them to go back and fix that. Yeah, but let me say to you that all of us are parents because we're all raising our own inner children. So you don't have to be a biological mother to be a parent. You are a parent. You know, I said that to Oprah once when she said that a lot of people were giving her some kind of attitude for having me on her show talking about conscious parenting because what does she know she's not a parent and i i helped redefine that a bit because a biological mother does not a parent make you know we all have the mothering principle mm-hmm. and in fact so many biological mothers are not maternal and not really mothering because they won't raise themselves so well, and oprah you know, was yeah. a mother to all of us Right, right. I was like, you're the Uber mother. She really um, is. And it was funny when I was reading this, This I was going through like all my notes this morning to put into my my papers. One of the things that I realized, I was like, I always used to say that I'm a parent, but I am to my, I, I'm a parent to my parents, right? So my parents were my kids all these years. I always was taking care of them. And 
And I really, it kind of just hit me this morning when I was doing my notes. I was like, oh, I have been a parent all these years. So what you're doing is really stepping back from the form of how it should look like and understanding that the energy has always been in you. You've always been mothering, right? Sometimes they're little babies that come from your womb and sometimes they are your parents that are older. There is no fixed identity of how that should look, except culture puts it on. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, biological seems to be the, the main way to, to do it. You know, I could only have one biological child. And the flack I got for that was enormous, like only one. I, I mean, then I began to apologize. You know, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm talking about parenting. I only have one. I'm like, bloody hell, it's bloody hard to have one. You know, it doesn't matter. It's hard to have zero, hard to have one. It's all hard and it's all the same. At the end of the day, the biggest illusion is that it's you're different because of becoming a mother. And while the mothering journey, of course, alters you, but it's not that you're in any way different because you're better. You're just different because it takes the life out of you. And now you have, you know, wreckage on your stomach and tire tracks everywhere. But uh, it's not this idea that you'll be more happy. And parents get to that, you know, they go, oh, my goodness, who said I was going to be more happy? I thought I would, would, would be more happy because I was raised the superstar child. You know, now I know there's a biological component to it that could be real. Um, but the the real task is to find worth, find joy, find fullness without that as well. You know, so if that happens to come, you're not living through it. It's just an addition. Mm-hmm. You know? And many parents have child number one, two, three, waiting for Godot, you know, and it never comes. But that's just like the the whole myth behind success in life. Like, I'll be happy when I get this. It's exactly. all the same kind of thing. It's all the stories that are being told to us and fed to us yes. that happiness is something that we'll only get if exactly. this. And then when you become a parent, you're like, I'll only be happy when my kid is happy then the kid has to be happy now. You know, it's a never-ending set of conditions that we spiral in and we don't realize we are. Mm-hmm. But yes, so so parenting oneself. So how do we to help parents realize that they're putting their baggage on their children? <laughs> Very hard. It's only when the kid is stark raving crazy or stark raving anxious that the parent is willing to accept the possibility that it could be them. Oh my goodness, no one is more defensive than the parent. You know, parents fire me when I say, let's look at you. And they're like, why me? Sam has ADHD. And I'm like, I know, but can we just talk about you? They're like, no, we're going to drop Sam off and go get a Starbucks. And parents are so resistant because it goes against their identity. They're like, damn it, I took a loan. I left my school. I left my job to have this kid. I put on 10 pounds and now you're going to tell me it's me? Mm -mm. So parents have a real strong wall up and it's hard to chip away. That's my job, you know? Yeah, I I know. I had a friend whose baby just kept passing out and they didn't know why. And they're taking it to all these doctors. And I said, she doesn't realize it's her. She has so much anxiety. And she's revving like this every day. I'm like, how does the kid not feel that? The kid's just passing out. It was like unbelievable to me. I know. But it is like a lack of awareness. Um, and when you talk about identity, uh, I think that's that's something that a lot of parents face. Like when the kids go off to college, you hear all the empty nesters and the, you know, the the identity loss that they feel in those moments. Do you have advice for parents in those moments? Yeah, I just dropped my kid off to college a month ago. Out of state? Yes, yes, in Miami. Um, So here's the thing, you know, if our identity is attached to that and our life revolves around that identity, it's not that we're great mothers, huh? It's just that we like to be the mother and we want the kid to need us. When your kid doesn't need you, like to me, it's the most amazing aphrodisiac. I'm like, what? I'm free. My boss hasn't called me. Like I haven't done a bad job today. I'm not being yelled at. I'm free. So I'm reveling in it because I was ready for it. But many of my friends and colleagues and, you know, typically what they're missing is the neediness, is the sense that they are significant in someone's life. 
You know, your kid goes. I mean, literally, my daughter doesn't call me except when the toilet gets clogged. I'm literally only a function, maybe a wallet and a function, <laughs> maybe some recipes. You know, if I'm if I'm if she'll give me the grace to be creative, but otherwise, no need, like no memory of me. Um, but when I feel peaked, you know, like triggered, I have to say why, and the answer will only be because she doesn't want me. I'm not significant anymore. All these years I slaved for you and now you've just dropped me, right? It's like all this lack victim mentality within us, martyr. That's the emptiness syndrome, right? The emptiness syndrome is, you know, damn it, you've just forgotten all my hard work. And here's what I tell parents. You didn't, you, you didn't become a parent because your kid begged you from wherever you, the kid planet that your kid was on and you did your kid a favor. You had that kid because you had the need to have a kid. So own it and say thank you to your kid that your kid allowed you to be with it for 18 years. And now your kid is like, thank you very much. Goodbye. So that's it. It's an, it's got an expiration date. But don't pretend like you did all this because your kid wanted you to do it, you know, because be, parents would say, oh, they're so ungrateful. They just dropped me like a hot potato mm-hmm. I'm not anymore. Hello, you had the kid because you wanted the kid, right? Yeah, so well, and they're all probably having conversations with other parents that are in that feeling, right? And so everyone just continues the 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 so cycle. Yeah. yeah the and, you know, the how can my kid, and then they'll text their kids incessantly. How are you? And my, then, then they'll be rejected more. So it keeps the cycle going and, you know. I tell I tell parents, imagine you don't have a cell phone, please. You know, please stop tracing your kid around campus. But we parents are insatiable because we have to feel significant. Mm. Yeah, I um I I felt a little bit of that when my mom passed, where I had like a little identity crisis because my identity was now in a sense attached to taking care of her and now I'm free, which is kind of the dream when you're in it and then you have it and you're like, oh, uh, there are all these feelings like I'm not needed anymore. And then at some point I was like, okay, no, you're not needed anymore. Like go live now. Like this is like your gift. And I'm like reconnecting with my little poodle. I was just telling Kelsey this morning, I go, I haven't had time to be with her. I was so enmeshed in what I needed to do that I'm having so much joy waking up with her in the morning and and playing with her and um so basically what I what I'm confirming is what you're saying it's like you have to kind of realize okay there was a moment for this there was there was a need to be the mom to be the one that was doing all the things for them but when they when they go like you got to now go be you yes yes you i mean you have to be you all through see that's the thing And that's what this book will evoke in women is, am I in touch with who I am or am I using my child or my relationship Mm -hmm. with my partner to define me? And putting ourselves in the forefront is not an act of selfishness, but an act of saviorship to Mm -hmm. other people. Like you're letting them be free of you. You know, the more we are in our own power, it's not a bitchy or selfish thing. It's actually the most selfless thing because you're getting people off your payroll and off your, you know, needing to pedestalize you. So when we, when we think we're being givers, we're actually also, when we're unconscious givers, tethering that person to our giving, you know, and they're, they're slaves of it and untethering them. Like, you know, so every time my daughter does happen to need me, I do feel a dopamine hit, you know, like, oh, I'm needed. But I realize I'm trapping her to be crippled to me, you know, and I say, go figure it out, you know. But one time I couldn't resist. She was having a fight with her roommates. And I that's I love to be the mediator. I'm like, Maya, so I begged her. I said, can I please come and fix it? And she's like, mom, if you act like this, I will not tell you next time. I'm like, please, I can fix it like this. <laughs> I was like, why don't you do me? And she's like, I'm not you. I don't like to be in the center of attention. I don't want to mediate. I'm like, you're a mediator. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, oh, damn it. So only one time I acted out like grossly. I was begging. I was so pathetic. And she just <laughs> didn't. She didn't even entertain me. You know, I'm like, damn, how do you know yourself so well? I told her. But um, yeah, so you have to, you do get that hit, that rush, you know, that addiction that, ah, I'm needed. We're addicted to being needed. You know? Yes. We're not pathetic. 
Yes, yes, yes. And you do such a disservice because they can't figure it out themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Do you feel like you, well, this is whatever. Do you feel like you've worked through all of kind of your childhood stuff at this point? Do you think you've like knocked over every, you know, cone, looked underneath and and dealt with everything? Or are you still in process? No, I still have some, I, but I know my boulders, you know, I know the boulders in front of me, but the, the boulders will keep showing up as triggers. Okay. But the pathway to worth becomes shorter and quicker. And each time you touch worth faster, you ignite the flame. So my goal in life is not to not have triggers and be some bodhisattva under a tree, my goal is to have a quicker pathway to abundance and radiance and, you know, power. So it's, you can't be devoid of triggers, you know? Yeah. I mean, you really can't. So that's not even the goal. It's not perfection. And I, I want to be human. I don't mind failing. I don't mind saying sorry. But the pathway to worth is getting shorter as I age. Mm. <laughs> which you don't look like you've aged. And you keep talking about when I was in my mid forties, I'm like, how old is this woman? She doesn't even look like she's 40 yet. What's going on here? <laughs> um, so, okay. I have one last like personal question and you can tell me if this is not something that you want to talk about, but when you say you divorced from the idea of what that wife was supposed to be, and you kind of now were in your moratorium and you figured yourself out, did you find that, you're, were you happy that you divorced yourself from him or did you regret that later? So specific and general, um, you have to, one has to be very careful that when one touches emancipation, one doesn't burn the house down with aggressive gusto, you know, and kill everybody. Yeah. So my instinct was to say, fuck you, I'm out. But that would that was my alter attack to the good girl, you mm -hmm. know, which was just a rebellious girl. Yeah, but I think that's such an important thing to say to people because when they listen to this, they're going to be like, yeah, let's burn the house yeah. down. Or when they read the book, because I, I feel those feelings. That's why I'm asking because sometimes we act in the moment of like discovery and it's a little too early because you haven't let it set in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I teach people, and I know this, to sit with it, right? Don't be beguiled by the counter reaction because it's still just a reaction. So now I have to sit with it, sit with it. Sit. I have t-shirts that say sit with it. Um, so I sat in it for like two years of like really trying to discern, am I just going from good girl to bad girl? You know what I mean? Or is this authentic girl? And it took a long time because I was like, I can't regret this later. I yeah. better know what the shit I'm doing, Shafali. Because you will, you know, take everyone for your ride. So you have to be very conscious. So it was torture. And I put him through torture. He put me through torture. And we sat in it and just like, oh, my God, it was two years of like, it's it, the, the transition is no joke, right? It's it's between the old and the new. You have to go through it. You cannot bypass it. People who go like, oh, burnt the house down and now I'm with the new guy the the shark is coming to bite your ass okay mm -hmm. so you better just do the work on the front end than to do it in the back end so take your time with any big change in your life do not just bounce you know because it'll come back so do the work any big change is an epiphanic realization that you need to slow the f down that's what the first thing is slow down because you've been on a roller coaster to hell and you got to slow that ride stop so first you stop, then you become still, then you sit in the stillness, which is torture. Then let consciousness arise and consciousness will guide you. So when people say to me, you know, is it time to stay or is it time to go? I go, the fact that you're asking the question means you're not ready for the answer. Consciousness gets the answer, not your intellect. So stay. So I go, oh, stay. Stay till the question is no longer a question. Mm. And that will come from consciousness rising. And before you know it, you'll be on the train to Tibet, you know, and you'll be like, how did I get here? You know, it, let consciousness decide your intellect. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I make a list? What are the what, pros and cons? Do all that. But that just means you're not yet ready. 
when you're ready, consciousness will just take you through the fire. You know, you'll have no choice. I love and that. That's why physical sickness is so powerful because you have no choice. You just have to go. So when that power comes in your mental state, you just go, right? And that's what you're waiting for without waiting for it. You can't be like, hello, consciousness, are you coming on Monday? No, it'll, it, it'll rise and you have to trust that it'll come when you're ready. So till you're, till you're ready, you're going to go back and forth, which is useful and powerful. Now sit in the torture of the seesaw, you know? I love that because I think it's also applicable to people in their jobs. Like sometimes people like hear something like, yeah, let's all quit. And it's like, wait, can you, can you wait and really think this through? And then also maybe think of like what your next steps are to the next one so that you, you know, have something kind of figured out. I think it's applicable to everything. Exactly. 100%. It's like that inner knowing just becomes so loud. Yes. That it isn't even a question. Right. So you have to know that when the inner knowing has not yet arrived, that's a knowing too. The knowing that it's not your time. Mm. The knowing that you're confused. The knowing that you're in two places. That's knowing too. And now we're going to wait for the knowing that is strong and centered and aligned. Let's wait for that knowing. So you have to know yourself so well, right? So you have to know, oh, I'm not yet in that knowing. I'm in this knowing. This is powerful and useful. It'll get me there. So there's no bypassing the, the steps, you know? Mm -hmm. I have one last thing I forgot to ask that I really, really was curious about from you. So um, it was part of my awakening when I was realizing that I was wearing workaholism as a badge of honor and all of this stuff. And I kept thinking about the book from Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. And I just kept hearing, lean the fuck out. We are leaning so fucking in that we're dying. And I'm just curious about what your perspective is on it, because I know I'm not influencing you by saying that. So I was able to say it. Other people, I wouldn't be able to say that to, like yes. give my opinion first, but I'm curious. I don't tell other women either. So we can both go down together. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, this, this whole adage, you know, uh, you can do it all. You know, women can do it all. No, we fucking can't. Okay. No, if we just give birth, we can't go on a diet and we can't go to the gym. So don't even try. And if you, you know, just had a heart broken, you can't be the best in your company. So just check out, chill out. You know, this idea that we can do it all is lovely, but it's become our, you know, stick that we're, we're dancing to. And that's become our oppressor. No, we can only do what we can do. And so just do whatever you can do. And let the other stuff go. You know, my entire PhD, seven years, I was overweight. I was like, I can, I have to eat pizza to keep my eyes open. And I was breastfeeding and I had a baby. I'm like, how much more can I do? But the voice was like, you should also take care of your health and go to the gym. I couldn't. I like literally couldn't. I needed a time out where something had to give. You know, something has to give. And how about that be the mantra? Something has to give. Mm -hmm. What is it going to be today? You know, instead of you can do it all, right? So every day we're like going to the grind, you know, Oof, how much, you know, we women already are conditioned that way. Now we need to do, do the reverse. Like, okay, now what can you not do today? Yeah. What have you not done today? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I literally wanted to write the book, Lean the Fuck Out, because that's how I felt whenever I thought of that. And I understand like the nuance where she was saying like, you know, we should be powerful women and we should be able to like ask for the raise. And there is so much good in there too. But at the other side of it, it felt like it was reinforcing kind of that, that yeah. programming for us to be everything. And when I know the worst problem we kind of suffer from is we're everything to everyone and nothing to ourselves. Yes. And on top of it, we're not telling men to do it all. When have you ever asked a man, how do you juggle it all? Right, right. Never, 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 never. And never. These, women, these working moms at home with COVID children, you know, children being homeschooled, I, t I beg them, I go, can you please fail at homeschooling at least? Like, why is homeschooling becoming your biggest project? Your poor kids, let them get a C grade this entire year. Like what something has to give, we're in a freaking pandemic. So mothers are trying to, you know, be the best teachers now and be the best gym coaches. I go, you... You know, when my daughter was in 11th grade during COVID and the gym teacher was telling her she's going to fail, 
I was like, really? Like, we have to go to like gym now? I have to like tell you to get up and go and do some sit-ups? Like, something has to give, you know? And the education system during COVID was unrelenting and teachers were burning out because they were still being asked to maintain the same standards and the parents were burning out. So, you know, we have to learn at some points in our life, big transition moments, drop a couple things off your agenda. You can't do it all, you know, look like a slob, be a slob, eat like a slob and just stay alive. Sometimes that's the holy grail. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I keep trying to show everybody is that so that mom who's trying to be now the perfect homeschooler, the perfect gym teacher and all that, who's suffering in the equation? The mom. The mom who's supposed to stay like healthy for her kids, in a sense, is letting herself slowly die and get sick, like, because eventually it's going to accumulate, right? I talk about the accumulation factor. Like, you can only do so much before it starts impacting yourself inside, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then you're not going to be able to be the perfect mom. <laughs> like, exactly. you can't yeah, do well, all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm I'm glad that I got to remember to ask that because that was something that was gnawing at me this morning. I'm going to look out for that book. Oh, you've never read it? No, your book. No, your oh. Book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What? Uh, yeah, I know. Well, Dr. Shafali. I am so grateful that you took all this time with us this morning. I'm so, so thankful. Um, The book is called A Radical Awakening, Turn Pain into Power, Embrace Your Truth, Live Free. Um, Thank you so much for um, the book, for the chat, and all of the incredible insight. Thank you, my love. And we will meet soon. Yes, Thank you for please. the wonderful work you do. Thank you to everyone who listened in. I would love that. I will see you in New York at some point for sure. Amazing. All right. Wow. I was taking notes feverishly in here. It's like when there's an interview like this, I feel like I kind of get lost because there's so much I want to get into. I know. And I have notes and pages marked and I'm like, ah. Well, there was so much. Also, excuse my parents, everyone. It is freezing (laughs) in the moon (laughs) and I'm still unwell, but that's okay. There's... Like she had so much in there. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I thought you did a great job though, because what else? I mean, did I cover everything you would want to know? I had one. I had it (laughs) because we'll get her again. Yeah. I want to get her again for relationships Mm -hmm. to talk about how like you bringing baggage into relationships. She has this whole part about how it's like, you kind of have to go in as a whole, right? Like she talks about a lot of women say to her, they feel like they lose themselves in their relationships. And she's like, well, that's because you aren't like you're already lost. So, anyways, I want to have her back to kind of talk about that. And um, but I mean, that would have been a whole nother, a whole nother episode. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just so much, but there's uh there's that through line, like I said to her, that I keep kind of shining a light on, and that is we really have to go back into our childhoods yeah. and see what's running our ride today. If you don't think that that's happening, trust me, it is, right? And as she was describing people, I was just thinking about like raising kids and, oh my God, where where would I raise them where they're not going to be kind of susceptible to all those kind of perfect standards, right? And And to be able to truly be free. And am I ready? to be able to do that and provide that kind of atmosphere because I'm still working through all my baggage. Now, if we all waited till we were perfect, nobody would have kids. And so that's definitely something my dad always used to accuse me of. Maria, you keep waiting, you keep waiting, you keep waiting. When, when, when are you going to be ready? And so, uh, no, but that's, I think that's an interesting question. Cause that was like, kind of, I guess my question with the relationship stuff too, that I wanted to, get into it's like okay but if we wait until we feel like we're fully fully whole fully perfect like what if it's too late Mm -hmm. you know so there is that there is that fear but she would say too late for who who said good point who Who said said, who said that was really friggin' powerful yeah that was amazing who said who said and i also was obsessed with um let's see that we can't do it all something has to give yeah we cannot do it all yeah like, I think that's one of our social posts coming up. It's like something's <laughs> yeah. got to give. Yeah. 
And I just had such a strong feeling about that. I was like, I have a feeling she's going to be on a similar page because um, it's not that the book wasn't great for so many reasons. There were great things. Um, But there's that side, I think, that just is just pushing us deeper into some of the not as great things. Mm -hmm. And um, man... So much to unpack. So much. I'm reading, I'm reading <laughs> through this. I, I wrote in here, earlobes? Yeah. People oh, no, that's a thing with... now. Uh, oh, no, there's a certain what? actress that I've been hearing about where people are watching her in this stuff, and they're Stop. like, why hasn't she done anything to her earlobes? No this is awful. Way. And I'm like, I would have never noticed, and all these people are pointing it out now, and I'm like, oh, I, People notice that stuff now. That's insane. I know Chris Jenner got her earlobes done. I watched that episode of the Kardashians and I was like, I'm sorry, what's wrong with your earlobes? Yeah. That's crazy. I literally had no idea. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Anyways, that was one of my things. Our greatest default is to only grow through pain. Ooh, it's a, I have to go through all these. Mm-hmm. Wow. Soul give without emotion. eating to give. Yeah. I liked that a lot too. Yeah. I really think that we have to be okay with not everybody liking us yeah not having to be everything to everyone it really is um it's kind of our life's work i think as women i agree so here's to to committing (laughs) here's to committing together to working on that yeah um i was thinking like um after like our patreon healing sessions we should all like decide on one thing we're going to commit to applying Mm, i love that and uh, and I think that I really liked also the idea of desensitizing ourselves. So I'm just going to have you and Pooja every day. Call me a bitch. Tell me I'm a horrible <laughs> boss. And maybe I'll be okay with it. Rather than being like, me? I'm so nice. I, mean, <laughs> I probably need it too. I need to be okay with not being the ultimate people pleaser as well. So we yeah. can give it back to each oh, other. No, but we like you in that role, Kelsey. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, but yeah. that's how I think too. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, they like me in that role. You know, I, I know. think a lot of us think that way. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of deprogramming we have to do. So at least start to see that this potentially could be riding your running your ride and uh and slowly killing you. Yeah. And you don't even know it. And you don't even know it. I do so. think too I wanted to note cuz I read it in my notes. Um I thought it was important earlier when you asked about, you know, going through this with a therapist. Like mm-hmm. I think that that's really important because sometimes I mean like I know I'll try and even meditation. Like you try and go through like a guided meditation. No, it's like, no, you need like, you need someone to kind of like walk you through, not meditation. I'm talking like, um, the somatic stuff Mm -hmm. you need. It's, you got to have a therapist doing that. So I thought that that was an important thing to know when you brought that up. Well, I think it's hard to see unless you have a trained professional who only sees, right? Like there was moments in my sessions with Brian where he picked up on things I said that to me are just like, I've said it a million times. And he goes, but do you see what that, Yeah. what's behind that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. And so when you have a trained professional who's great at what they do, they can help accelerate your healing because they see stuff faster. Right. Um, you can and- also re-traumatize yourself, right? Well, with the somatic stuff and the EMDR yeah. stuff, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, but, I just won't say that. Yeah, it's important to have somebody mm-hmm. who's trained. And by the way, that's why we love Talkspace. I, you guys, I actually went on last night. Did you? Yeah. Did you I, book your appointment? No, I didn't book it yet because it's like so. Let me give you a little spiel of what how actually. Much, by the way, how much is the appointment? Because we're offering a hundred dollars off if you use the code Better. So this is what I'm going to tell you. So I had no idea how it actually works. So I got on there and you message with like a little person to start out with. And then they give you like plans. So it's basically like it's a hundred, it's a hundred dollars a week for a call. And for a what, 60 minute call? A, I believe it was 45 minutes. Okay. A um, hundred dollars a week. And then it was 70 for like 24 seven messaging, like, but just messaging. And then I think it was 150 for messaging and a call. And then you get a hundred dollars off with our code for like your first. So you basically get your first session for free. In yeah. A sense. That's great. It, but, and that's like great pricing. So I didn't book it yet, but I was like, Oh, 
cool. Okay. Because I didn't really know how it worked. Are the ads running right now? Yeah. Yeah. So take advantage of that. That's actually a really, um, yeah. I'm glad I remembered that because um, we have our discount for you guys. So it's $100 off your first session and um, it's easy. You can do it right over the phone, right over Zoom probably too, right? They do Zoom? Or I'm no? sure they do. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so take advantage of Talkspace by using the promo code better. Is it Talkspace.com? Talkspace.com. There we go. Or type in, you know, Talkspace on Google. You'll find it. Exactly. All right, guys. In the meantime, uh, if you haven't joined us on Patreon, we do some pretty cool stuff over there. Uh, extra shows, uh, ad-free shows, heel events, all at the $10 a month tier. That's going to end very soon. <laughs> so um, very soon, uh, that's going to change. So jump in so that we can protect the OGs. Um and then um, and then join us on a deeper experience where we are engaging in a you know in a zoom together and uh, it's really cool it's my favorite time of the month I love it alright guys in the meantime be nice people make good choices and be present this podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or MariaMenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad. We have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.